Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Tim. Uh, You are listening to the podcast from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire. Normally, our podcast is the recording from Sunday's sermon. But we are in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, and what we've been doing for worship, we have moved it all online, and we've been doing it through Zoom. So preaching has a little bit different of a feel to it, and I'm not quite as comfortable with it uh, because I can't see everybody's face and get that media feedback and are people following or tracking with me and how do I uh, tailor the sermon as I am giving it. And I've had a little more difficult time. So I'm going to re-record my sermon now, even though I still don't have a congregation in front of me. Uh, it's been a little more comfortable trying to do it this way because I feel like on Zoom it's just been disjointed. So I appreciate you listening. Today's scripture comes from Luke 24, 13 through 35. It is commonly referred to as the walk to Emmaus. Now before I read it, I just want to give you a little background if you you have listened to my sermons before. Context is always a big deal of what's going on. Help us to understand it better. So the context of this passage as far as what has been going on is it is what we now call Easter Day, but they weren't calling it Easter back then. Jesus has risen from the tomb. A couple of the women have seen it. They reported it back. The disciples have heard it, but they really did, not everybody believes it. And so what we're going to enter into is a conversation between the disciples as they walk to Emmaus, trying to understand everything that they have heard. For Jesus, the one who they thought was going to restore Israel, restore the Hebrew people back to their proper place, has died, been killed, been crucified on Good Friday. Uh, and so that what they thought was going to happen is obviously not working anymore. But now they're hearing words that Jesus has been risen from the tomb. And they weren't expecting that either, and so they don't know what to make of it. And so they come together on this walk, on their way, to share their life, their experience, their anxieties, their worries. And on this road, a stranger comes among them, and they have a conversation with the stranger. And that is where we pick up the story. Luke 24, 13 through 35. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing them. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them said, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. When they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? 
Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord, the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So here's what I want to begin. This Road to Emmaus story provides the structure of what Lutherans and what many uh, Christians do for worship. And I'll say mainline denomination Christians, not all, but those who have a more structured worship service or what might be called a liturgy, a work of the people. For the format that our worship has uh, goes gather, word, meal, sending. It has four parts. Gather, word, meal, sending. And those four parts come from this story. So I briefly want to just talk through those four parts where they come from. And then I have a grander or a bigger idea about church and how we view it uh, and how we should view it. Or maybe how these times are making us review it. Gather, word, meal, sending. You notice... We don't sing a gather, uh, a opening hymn in worship here at Holy Trinity in many churches. We sing a gathering hymn. The reason being we view worship as a time in which we gather together. We come together to share our lives, all our hopes, our dreams, our anxieties, our cares, our worries. We don't say leave it out of the door. We say bring it in. And that comes from these two early followers of Jesus, they gathered on their way on the road to Emmaus, and they shared their lives. They didn't leave it out the door, but instead they brought it with them, and they told each other what their concerns and worries were. And we do the same thing. We gather together. And so a lot of our gathering hymns have something to do with coming together and sharing our lives uh, and what that might look like. We gather. After the disciples gathered, someone came among them. They didn't know who it was, but they shared what was going on in their lives, what was going on in the world. And then they used the scriptures to help them understand what was going on in the world. And we do the same thing. We hear readings. We hear readings from the past to help us understand our present and where we might be going in the future. And so that is the word. We gather, then we hear the word. And uh, someone even explains them. And that is uh, many times the role of the pastor to translate that word. And there's a lot of ways in which interpretations on what the role of that sermon is Uh, What I like to do is to look at what is going on with the people of the past. What are those anxieties, cares, worries? What are those themes that they have going on? What is God saying to them then? And what might God be saying to us now? But we gather together, we hear the word, and 
someone or a group of us try to explain them to all of us. And after we hear the word, we share a meal. You know that is what has happened. Those people, Jesus was going to go on, or the stranger to them was going to go on, and they asked that stranger to stay among them. And that they did, and they shared a meal, and the stranger took the bread, blessed it, and broke it. It is during that blessing and the breaking of the bread that is revealed who Jesus is. And so for us during our worship, that is communion. That in communion, we remember the night in which Jesus was betrayed, in which he took the bread, broke it, and blessed it. And we believe Jesus comes to us somehow mysteriously in communion. That Jesus isn't just an idea that we think about, but somehow mysteriously Christ is present among us in the bread, in the wine. We gather, we hear the word, we share a meal. And after that meal is done, we are sent. So we don't sing a closing hymn, we sing a sending hymn. We are sent out into the world, back to our lives as different people with a new understanding of what it means to be human, of what it means to be followers of Jesus, of what it means to have this claim placed on our life that we are loved, we are forgiven, we are renewed and restored, and we live differently. Gather, word, meal, sending. That is what makes up our worship service, or frequently that's what we say call, we call church. We don't say we're going to worship, we say we're going to church. And I think we need to come up with a different name. We say we're going to church, we're going to the building. And that doesn't really accurately portray what we are meant to do. So I want to use this analogy. Think about, and for different generations, it might look in different ways. But maybe when you were a kid, you'd be outside playing during the summer. Your mom would call you in to dinner, right? So you drop your glove, you drop your jump rope, whatever it is you might be doing, you stop. You run in, you get filled back up, right? You eat to be refueled, only to go back out to pick up doing exactly what you were doing. You were called in to be refueled to then keep going in your regular life. And I think that is the wrong way of looking at things. Yes, we are refueled in some way for church. It energizes us so we can go back to our lives. But that just means we're called in so we can continue on what we're really already doing. And church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. It comes from two words, ek and kaleo. Ek means out, kaleo means called, to be called, the called out ones. Um, And that gets a better idea. We are not called in just to church to continue our lives, but we're called out of our lives to live differently. To understand who we are is different. Uh, And I want to use this other analogy too because not everybody is during the summer are they called in for dinner to go back out. But to use a more um, current or modern or relevant analogy, maybe it's you're going from one practice or one thing, you're eating dinner in the car and then you go on to the next one. And so um, we are just being refueled to continue in the rest of our day. But it has the same thing of that dinner during summer years ago, except now we're eating it in a car. And it is just a refuel so we can keep on going. And that is at some level right, but at some level wrong. We are not just called to come to worship to be restored or to be refueled to continue what we're doing. 
but we're really called to think about what we are doing. We are called out of that life of just running around and to think twice. And what I think this COVID-19 pandemic is doing for us is right now the churches are quote-unquote closed. We can't just be called in for dinner to be refueled to go back out because we don't have a place to be called into. Or we can't just go from one activity to the next and stopping to shove a little food down our throats to get to the next practice because the buildings are closed and it's making us rethink what exactly is church supposed to be during this time? Or better, what is worship supposed to be and how are we supposed to be the church? I wish we could come up with some other name instead of saying, I'm going to church, because that's not what we're doing. You are the church, and we're going to worship to understand that we are called out of one life and into another life. That we are told to be thinking about where are we in the midst of doing or living, and how are we supposed to rethink that? And this time during this pandemic should give us a time in which we can rethink what we are doing. We aren't just forced to continue on doing everything and how much can we cram into our day, but we are forced to stop and think about how can we be church in this time when we don't have a building to go to, which is maybe a good thing. Because if we don't have a building to go to, and that has been the primary way in which we have practiced our faith, we have to think about new ways to practice. We have to think about new ways in which we learn about God, but not so much as learn about who God is, but who we are and how do we act and how do we live uh, as followers of Jesus. And that is really what this is about. How do we think differently? How do we act differently? when we can't go somewhere, but we just have to do it in our homes, which is really what the early church was doing. They didn't go to church. They met in their homes. And because they met in their homes, it affected that they didn't just go back to the rest of their life, but they acted differently. And that is what caused the early church to grow. They went out and they took care of the poor. They went out and they took care of the sick. They made sure there was no one among them who had any need. They sold their possessions so all had the basic necessities of life. They realized where they were um, living maybe outrageously or maybe extravagantly or maybe above what they should be living. And they saw others who were living below or less than them. And they said, that is not right. There are, should not be any of us among us who don't have enough to eat, who don't have access to, uh, well, they didn't really have doctors then, but needed someone to take care of them. And they went ahead and they took care of those things. That is how they lived as called out ones. That is how they lived as the church. Not that they went to church. They lived as the church. They were called out of one life and into a new life. And that is our challenge today. We can't go to church, and so we have to think about what does it mean to live as the church, to live as the called out ones, to live as people who are loved, who are forgiven, who are accepted, and how do we convey that to other people? How do we let others know that they are loved and forgiven and accepted as well?
Thank you for listening. Thank you for being who you are, whether you step into the sanctuary at Holy Trinity every week when we are able to, whether you've never been here before, whether you have a faith that seems to be rock solid, or whether you are somebody who, man, I don't know if I buy any of it, and maybe I lean on the fact I don't buy it, but something propels you or compels you to listen. I thank you for listening. I want you to know that you are loved, and I give thanks for you. Amen.